But Art, come up here for right now before we pray for you. Um, one of the things that I think is such a gift um, for me personally, and I know for Jeff and for our, our staff, and I think this has trickled out to our entire church, is this is Art. He's, he's getting up there in age. He's wise. His hearing is failing. He's getting ready to play golf and like live on a golf course. So those are things you think of retirement. But the truth is that Art is someone who deeply loves God who has never taken his foot off the gas pedal when it comes to figuring out how to keep growing in his walk with Jesus. I keep thinking, oh, there's a point to arrive, and then I can kind of give up and just coast the rest of my life. And Art has paved the way that of every day, God has something for him to engage in Jesus, for God to heal him and transform him and to be used by him. And so he really epitomizes this idea that we engage with the spiritually hungry, towards a life in Christ that's inspired, intelligent, involved. And it's not just a marker that we get to, but it is a lifelong journey. And Greg, I love you. I know I've teased you being old my whole life of knowing you, but I love that you're an old guy who knows and loves Jesus passionately and daily. So thanks for being that marker for me. And we just want to pray for you and love you. And we're going to do all sorts of sappy stuff this afternoon. So, And Lord, I love that Art wanted to make sure that today's worship was about the King. And that we worship you, Jesus. So we come before you in praise. We come celebrating our mission trips and uh, our missionaries. We come to your word now, um, believing that, uh, that you're our hope. And so as Greg brings the, uh, the word uh, today, Father God, would you, would, you, would you enable us to receive what you need for, for us to hear? And not as some sort of a... Um, uh, you know, art's final sermon, I should probably hear something, or um, that, uh, that this is some sort of a, uh, um, um, an anomaly, but that we're people of your word, where when we sit before you, God, we want to hear from you. Yes, Lord. So don't let us miss what you have for us today. And would you, um, um, would you bring a blessing to your people uh, through your servant art, through the gifts that he has, through the, the insight he has into the scriptures. And um, we pray, God, we would encounter you, Lord Jesus, our King, in this moment as we come to your word. If that's your prayer, people, say amen. 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 All thanks, right, guys. Lay it down, Greg. All right, thanks. <laughs> Clowns. <laughs> this has been a... Um, you know, this has been a week in our house, a week of questions, surprise questions. By the way, this sermon that I'm preaching is the same basic outline, the same sermon I preached with my first sermon at Marin Covenant Church. It's been gently restructured, but in essence, it's the same sermon, same text, same basic outline uh, with some updated stories. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of fun. I'll start and finish the same way and not have to do a whole lot of work my last week. <laughs> so this week, it's been questions in our house, like uh, all the kids are home, and it's, uh, and by the way, our son Josh got engaged this weekend, that's pretty cool, uh, to Rohana. It's about stinking time, Josh. And so he's kind of in a feisty mood, and you wouldn't believe this, I don't know where they got this from, but all my children, including our son-in-law, Anthony, for whom English is sort of a second language, they're learning how to pun. They, they love to pun. And, and my grandson even loves to pun. He's only six, so he's got a good head start. So this, the question, so our son Josh comes in uh, yesterday and he says, Dad, it's a question, right? He says, Dad, 
do you know the difference between a hippo and a zippo? And I said, no, what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? And he says, well, a hippo is really, really heavy. And a zippo is a little lighter. <laughs> is that not Hall of Fame stuff? I was so proud of him, I kissed him right on the lips. I was so happy. <laughs> There's a question that my wife Brenda asked me sometime early last week. And it was a total Brenda question. It was a question I would have never even thought to ask. She came uh, into our room, and I hadn't considered this at all, but she says to me, honey, what are you going to wear for your last sermon uh, at Bren Covenant. I said, Man, I don't think I think about what I'm going to wear at my last, my last sermon at Bren Covenant. So we started thinking about it. I started considering the options, you know. Uh, and uh, I don't think my clicker is working here. How do I make it work? There we go. <laughs> <clears throat> I looked at that and I thought, not nah, too formal. And, and uh, come on, clicker. And I thought, too casual. <laughs> Not too casual. <coughs> but too liturgical. Huh? Nah. Too pretentious. Too, too. <laughs> Did you really think you were going to get out of here without some puns? Here, you got this. <laughs> so this is what you get but I did do something special for you I have some brand new virgin preaching vans yeah. those are some cool vans I have to keep my eye on those if Kirk Usher is around he'll steal them from me he loves those so much what to wear what to wear but there was one question that was really no question at all it was already answered and that's the question of what to preach uh, because I want to preach these walls to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's inspired, intelligent, and involved. There's Holy Spirit. There's us using our brains and not trading our intellects in at the door because we walk through into the context of the church and involved. We are out there engaging our world with the love of Christ as best we know how to do. The first sermon I preached here was entitled Doing Church, The Messier the Better. And it's going to be the last sermon that as at least as one of our pastors here, I get the privilege of preaching. It's the message I want you to put in your pockets and take home and live. And it's a message Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ben are committed to. We've done this together and we have done this together. Doing church, the messier, the better. You know, uh, I preached this as my candidating sermon here. That's where you come and preach, and then the church votes to see whether they want you to be their pastor or not. Little, like 14 and a half, no, about 15 years ago, it was July uh, of 2004. And I preached this, and the, one of the things that I included in this sermon, I sort of built it around this picture of a mop I said, hey, you know, one thing a church needs to make sure a church has, and we weren't the church then that we are now, but boy, we had some good bones. 
Church better have a mop closet. And there better be some mops and brushes and brooms in there. Because you can't have faithful Christian ministry if you're unwilling to address messes. And so I said something like, I long to be part of a church that has mops and knows how and is willing to use them. So imagine my uh, surprise when a few weeks later, I'm, or maybe a week later, I'm outside in my front yard in Chicago and a UPS truck pulls up, stops in front of my house, which if you're as tight as I am, <coughs> uh, you know how I'm feeling when I see that pull up and the guy gets out with a big long box and my first thought was, what did Brenda buy now? Hmm. And the guy walks up and he, I'm out in my front yard, he comes to me with this long narrow box and I had, a, I had a moment of inspiration and hope, and I thought, golf clubs could fit in that box. <laughs> but he, he hands it to me, I sign for it, and I take it out, and it's this mop. This is the mop. And the search committee from our church, after hearing that candidating sermon, had gone into the mop closet, or the members of the leadership team, one or the other, and just grabbed the mop. Uh, they didn't sterilize it, they didn't wash it. And it and they wrote on the handle, and that's my official call to be pastor at Marin Covenant Church. And here's a portion of what it says on the handle, but let me read you the whole thing. It says, in the name of Jesus, with grace, hope, love, and the desire to actually use this thing on a regular basis, we prayerfully call Art Greco to be our lead pastor, Marin Covenant Church, July, July 2004. This mop has been in my office ever since. I got to tell you, it will be in my office as long as I have one. Because this mop reminds me of the kindest thing God ever did to me. The most loving thing. Doggone it, Maz. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he called Brenda and me to come to Marin Covenant Church where we were formed. And we were crafted. And we did some stuff together, didn't we? Yeah, that's the mop. It represents the reason Marin Covenant will always have a special place in my heart. Because among the many qualities of this fellowship, the most standing one is that she's a serious mess. She's a serious mess that is serious about addressing the serious messes she sees around her in her culture. And not running away from brokenness, but toward it. Not being closed-handed, but open-handed toward local schools that need help and neighbors that need to be loved and people that need a place to worship whether they agree with everything we teach or not and your arms are open wide and your doors are open not only so people can come in through them but so that you can leave through them and go to touch people this church if she were a Safeway shopper that heard the announcement uh, attention cleanup needed on aisle 8 
while everybody else was gathering their children and moving as far away from aisle 8 and as, as fast as they could do it, Marine Covenant would be that church that says, where's aisle 8? Let me go there. Running toward the messes, mops in hand. And I love that about this church. Wherever Christ's ministry is done, messes are made. Messes are engaged. You can't faithfully do Christian ministry without messes. It just can't be done. Not true Christian ministry because no messes means no ministry. And that's the essence of this talk, of this sermon. No messes means no ministry. Messes and faithful Christian Christian living go together. Makes sense when we look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to be in uh, uh, Mark chapter 14 this morning for a few points here. Seems that when you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, I could have almost closed my eyes, taken any of the gospel messages, and just let the text fall open randomly, and I could almost guarantee that if you're going to read about Jesus, you're going to read about some sort of a mess. And if you're going to read about the, the, the disciples of Jesus, you're going to read about him sending them into some sort of a mess. And it's almost as though if Jesus were to come to a place, and it was all settled and calm, he wants to throw a rock in the pond to cause a stir to make a mess, so he can answer a question and cause some questions. Have you ever thought about that in Christ's life? There's virtually no step he took that didn't leave a mark, and that wasn't some sort of a mess. Jesus, can you just let us relax for a while? How come there are no lounge, lounge chairs you know, in your ministry? Why is it you're always stirring things up, always asking questions, always sending us into the minefield? Just because Jesus himself was a mess maker, because he was faithful to what his father called him to. There is no mess, there is no ministry. Can we accept that? Can we gather that? Can you get your head around that? Ministry creates all sorts of messes. Listen to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and not finish until I get through verse 11. I don't think I have a slide for this, for the whole thing. Uh, So this is going to be for the first point, the slide you have. But I'm going to read the whole text. I don't think I created a slide for the whole thing together. It says this. Now the In fact, let's do this. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why was this wasted like this, this perfume? It, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want to help them. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, 
what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. May God add his blessing to his holy and fully inspired word. Go ahead and take your seats. Ministry creates all sorts of messes. No messes, no ministry. Jesus created messes, so we will too. Ministry, for instance, first of all, creates social messes. You can't have faithful Christian ministry without the risk of some sort of social engagement that's anything but comfortable. You notice that Jesus, first of all, it says, was having dinner in the house of a leper. Social mess, breaking all the rules, crossing over the lines. That was very messy. That put him uh, in a bad light in some people's minds. And then imagine this. While they were reclining at table, all of these men already feeling somewhat uncomfortable. You can count on the fact that the apostles were feeling uncomfortable going into this house. And I'm wondering, how many houses of nice, upstanding, powerful, influential, well-dressed, perfect, clean people, how many front doors did Jesus walk past in order to get to the house of Simon the leper? That's messy. You're going where you're not supposed to go. We would expect a rabbi to go somewhere else. You're a church in here doing what you're not supposed to be doing. Aren't you supposed to stay clean and hinged? They're in there eating, and then to make matters worse in an already uncomfortable situation, this is dry wood, and somebody comes in with gasoline and a flame. And this woman comes with this bottle of very expensive perfume. Now, there's no hint that she was introduced. There's no hint that anybody said, the host said, that Simon said, hey, time out, guys, don't panic. But we've got this woman over here, and we're always guessing about who the woman was. Doesn't really matter. That's not the point. We have, she just wants to come. Don't be shocked. Don't be upset. Hold on to your forks for a second. She's just going to pour some oil on Christ's head. Here's what it means. It's a pr- Nobody announced anything. They're in the middle of discussing and doing whatever they're doing at the table, already feeling uncomfortable, wondering why they're there and why Jesus is there. And then she does this very intimate thing. She just walks in as I imagine it, quietly, and people are saying, what the, what's going on? What? What's she doing? And bam, all of a sudden, she opens this vial, and the fragrance is overwhelming, and it's identified very quickly as something very expensive, and their, their jaws are dropping as she goes and pours the oil over his head, and it begins to, and, and Jesus doesn't stop her. That's shocking. It's a very intimate, very tender virtual embrace of her, of this Messiah, of this rabbi, in front of all those people. That is socially messy. Ministry creates social messes. Get used to it. Embrace it. Seek it. Gird up for it. Because where there are no messes, there is no ministry. That's always been normal for the church. A friend of mine who's a pastor told me once of uh, how he had been evangelizing when he was a youth pastor, uh, sharing the gospel with students and on campuses, and then all of a sudden there was like this outbreak of students showing up around the church and all kinds of kids from all sorts of situations. And the youth group had like quadrupled. And one of the powerful 
financially supportive men came to him and said, I need to talk with you. What's wrong? I noticed all these kids around here in this youth group now all over the place in our building. And he says, isn't that great? And the man said, this was a true story. The man said to my friend, do you realize how much money I pay every year putting my children in private school precisely so they won't have to be around the kind of people you're bringing here into our church now? Too messy. The irony is that that man had prayed that God would reach the hearts of students. And he was now rebuking his youth pastor for the success of his own prayer. No messes, no ministry. We better own a mop, folks, if we're going to be a faithful church. Don't ever forget that. That's normal. Creates social messes. Ministry, if we go on in this text, also creates financial messes. Are we really ready for this? Notice verses 4 through 9. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? That's crazy. This perfume is actually an act of worship, an extravagant act of worship. And people are so short-sighted that even though they claim to be religious leaders, they're frustrated with an extravagant expression of worship to Jesus, and they categorize it as a total Waste. What did Jesus feel in his heart at that moment? To hear this act of love toward him described as a waste. How valuable did he feel? How loved did he feel? How appreciated did he feel? You know, the value of that oil is characterized as being worth more than an entire year's salary. Let's assume they're talking about a moderate, a modest salary of a common worker. In today's dollars, conservatively, we're talking about a vial of perfume that's worth $30,000, $40,000. I mean, you really can't afford to live here where we live for thirty dollars or $40,000 a year unless you do it very, very creatively. Thirty or But yet if somebody came in here and said... Um, Pastor Jeff's hands are cold and I want to love him so much. What do we, what, we'll start a little fire for him so that he can warm his hands. What do you got? Oh, we have no wood, but I've got this thirty dollars or $40,000 bill. We can light it on fire. <laughs> Jeff, you can come and warm your hands because I love you so much. Or what if it were the hands of Jesus? Or what if that was an investment in somebody who was the face of Jesus for us. Doesn't it break your heart to think about how often I'm guilty? We want to call the church's best efforts in Christian ministry, loving people, uh, we, we might call it a waste of money. Or the building we build for worship of God, call it a waste of money. You know, sometimes we're so addicted to to the pragmatic that we forget to be addicted to worship. And it's good to note too that in this case, the voice of financial reason 
was indignant. And the voice of God was supportive. Now, don't get me wrong. Usually the voice of reason and the voice of God are the same voice. Overwhelmingly so. But every once in a while, especially when we're doing Christian ministry, every once in a while, the voice of reason is not the voice of God. In Christians' personal finances, if you're going to do Christian ministry, real Christian ministry, your finances are going to get messy because ministry creates financial messes. I'm not encouraging to, us to be irresponsible, but man, let's, let's dig back in and get really messy and struggle to make that budget work because of the extraordinary generosity that we're practicing and in investment in a broken world, in broken people's lives, investing in the cleanups on the aisles, eights of our lives and our communities. In Christian business, finances get messy because a Christian business person looks and says, well, Here's how I could treat my employees, and here's what the law requires of me, and here's what the going rate is, but I want to think beyond that because I'm a Christian, and every act is a, is a theological statement. And how am I stating through the way I treat my employees? How am I stating something of the character of God, the generosity of God, the love of God, the concern for justice of God? I want their children to be able to live well, so might I want to pay a little higher wage because I'm a Christian and because of Christian Ministry, our, our finances get messy when we're faithful, don't they? Oh, but I think sometimes of God sitting in his throne every once in a while and he sees some Christian business person doing something way over the top only because that Christian business person wants to honor God. And I can't imagine a God who doesn't get up out of his throne and lean forward and say, oh my goodness, did you all see that? Did you see that? Oh. Doing Christian ministry does create financial messes, and it's an honor to be in the middle of one for the sake of Christ. And even the church's finances sometimes get messy. You know, like when the decision to plant a Latino church takes a higher priority than the decision for a church to build her reserves. No, 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 let's take a risk. Messy, messy, messy. Let there be no mistake about it. Ministry creates financial messes. You can avoid the financial messes if you want to, but not if you want to do real ministry because no, ministry, no messes means no ministry. Finally this. We read on and we realize that ministry also creates relational messes, personal messes sometimes. This is a sad point to make. But it happens sometimes. The first verses, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, people you would think should be endorsing this messianic message, were scheming to arrest the Messiah and secretly kill him. But they were politically savvy. They said, let's not do it during the festival or the people are going to riot. And Jesus is faithful to what his father sent him to do, which creates personal conflict in the people that should have been his supporters. And then look at verse 10, skipping all the way down. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, 
went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them, and they were delighted to hear it. They said, here, we get some scratch for you too. There's some money in it for you. Ministry creates relational messes. In doing ministry, you discover that you have personal enemies you didn't know you had. And sometimes the resistance you get comes from your own religious community. That's sad. But it happens. Sometimes those who are resisting and giving you pushback come from your own most intimate circles, like Judas and Jesus. Sometimes for the friends who end up abandoning you, it's your commitment to be faithful to your calling that becomes the last straw for them. I mean, take note, Judas Judas made his decision after this event with the woman coming in and they're at the leper's house eating dinner and that intimacy of her pouring the oil over Christ's head. It was right after that that Judas, according to this text, decided that's it, that's, that's it. You have Christ's personal issue with relational messes. On Good Friday, we were reminded that when Jesus came to the cross and looked down and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, He was certainly addressing that prayer in regards to the people who were crucifying him, but we wonder if he wasn't also aware of who was not there, who he didn't see, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My friends have abandoned me because of my faithfulness to your calling in my life. And we have estranged friendships that we wish were not estranged. We have people wondering what in the world is going on. We have a call sometimes to live because of our faithfulness to ministry, to live in neighborhoods that are a little bit challenging and risky for us so that we can reach those neighborhoods. The call to be uncomfortable so that somebody can have a chance at life and dealing with family members who are wondering what in the world kind of craziness are we doing, giving away that much money, giving away that much time, getting involved in all this stuff only because we're doing faithful Christian ministry. It's sad, but sometimes ministry even creates relational messes. Because no messes means no ministry. But faithfulness isn't the only thing connected to messiness, reaching out to people. You know what else also goes with being faithful and doing real ministry and using the mop and embracing the fellowship of the mop? You know what also also goes with running toward aisle eight and engaging ourselves in the broken glass and the slippery floors of life, being the first responders? Scars and bruises and tired bones and broken hearts. And with them, questions about whether or not God sees and God cares, and sometimes even whether or not God actually exists. 
Sometimes we feel like people to whom God has said, yes, go, and you go. And then he pulls back the armies and leaves you out of the tax loop. And you're standing at a risky wall, firepower coming down on you all alone. That also goes with a commitment to engaging messes. Messy ministry can have that effect on those who choose it. And God has a word for us in those moments. And I want you to hear it and hear it well. In Deuteronomy 31, he says this. Now be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Ever. In Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I don't have some second-rate helper. I look in triumph upon my enemies. I run to that isle of mess as a conqueror. And I love this last command that Jesus gives his church. Remember that right before the ascension? Go into all the world. Like, like take on the mantle of risk to every ethnicity and love them. Teach them what I've taught you. And he says this. And remember, lo, I, because you, your heart starts to quiver when you get that kind of a challenge. Lo, I will be with you always. When it comes to doing church, the messier, the better. And it's a fact that when God calls us to faithfulness, he calls us to risk. He calls us to dirty hands and open wounds. But he doesn't just send us there. He leads us there. He walks with us there. He is with us there. The text reminds us of that. You know what? So does the poet every once in a while who takes on the voice of God and sings it to us. Would you stand with, for this benediction? See, no messes, no ministry. Faithful church, messy church. When the Lord God looks over his people, when Jesus sees those who claim to follow him, and he's forced to pray, once again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Live in such a way as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and a Christian church, where he gets to have a second prayer when he looks at you.
And he says, Father, look at those kids of ours. They can't help themselves. They love. Be that church. Be that.